2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Please be seated. So I believe uh, most of you know that we have a, uh, an associate pastor candidate that uh, we had planned on bringing today, and he is here. His name is Fuji Kim. He and his wife, Lisa, and their two children, Asher and Ezra, they currently live in the Philadelphia area in Pennsylvania. Um, just a few notes about him. First of all, he has... Uh, been in a number of different ministries from um, pastoring, being an associate pastor, church planting, uh, and then most recently part of Christian Union, which is a campus ministry at the University of Pennsylvania. Secondarily is that he and I go back for about almost 30 years. We went to seminary together in the Massachusetts area. We had the privilege of working together and ministering together in different areas, both of us with college students. He was ministering to college students in the Boston area while I was ministering to college students in the Amherst area. And our two churches were sort of in fellowship with one another. And I saw in many ways in which um, he particularly led different retreats and organized and planned really excellently. And so um, that's one big memory that I have. The third is that uh, we were both very young. Um, I was probably more immature than he was, and um, we used to play volleyball almost every night in this gym till about two in the morning, and uh, on top of that, we did study theology, but (laughs) volleyball was definitely a part of our lives, and more than anything else, what we who were part of the interview team and the elders, I think I can agree, I would be right to say on... Uh, behalf of everyone who is there is that he is a man who loves Jesus, proclaims Christ, and wants people to follow Jesus. It's it's as simple as that. And um, 
Yeah, and so excited to have him here with us. Um, so let's give him a warm welcome. Sam and I do go back, um, and yeah, we were um, goofier then, uh, and uh, time has flown. Though Sam and Sua look quite the same, and Justin, um, quite the same as when we were in our early uh, 20s. Uh, I'm sure that they would agree that life in ministry has taken its toll. Um, for Apostle Paul, Life in ministry has taken a toll. He's had his share of critics and difficulty. He lists in chapter four, verse eight. Um, some of it, we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. He gets even more specific in the end of the letter, in chapter 11. Five times got the 40 lashes minus one. Three times beaten with rods, stoned once. Five, uh, shipwrecked three times. In the open seas, he spent one night and one day. What kept Paul to continue ministry um, is Jesus' death and resurrection. He's been writing about that in the last few chapters. Uh, specifically, it was Jesus' death and resurrection. Because of his death and resurrection, Paul says in verse 16, so, or therefore, we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is a paradox. It sounds like a contradiction, but like all good paradoxes, the truth will be revealed. So how can we experience renewal of the inner self uh, while being discouraged by the outer self wasting away so that we don't lose courage in life and as a believer. Now, the outer self is the whole of your life that other people can see. So it's not just about the body, it's about your circumstances, the decisions that you've made. Um, the frailties of the body, yes, but it's life's pitfalls, the changes of directions in your life. Now, some Corinthians concluded that because Paul experienced all those pitfalls and circumstances and shipwrecks and persecution that um, he can't be called by God to be an apostle, an apostle, a teacher. Uh, for a leader to be in the church, he, he ought to be blessed, not living hand to mouth, fleeing one city to the next town. As Paul's outer self uh, is failing, what others can see is really wasting away, going downhill. It would have been easy for Paul to lose heart, to be discouraged. But Paul says that the inner self, the part that you can't see, is renewing day by day. This inner self has placed its faith in the resurrected Jesus. The believer is united to Jesus, and the believer is already resurrected with Jesus in a sense. So renewing day by day is experiencing eternal life in the here and now. But each day, yeah, um, we get weighed down, even in the inner self. Through sins and discouragements, we get weighed down. So each day, the inner self needs to be renewed. 
How does this paradox become true? How can we experience renewal day by day? Uh, three ways we learn from Paul. Uh, Jimmy, can you put that up? In the paradox, preparation. Uh, there's an outline. In the paradox, there's preparation. In the paradox, there's a promise of resurrection. In the paradox, there's present courage. First, in the paradox, there's a preparation. You'll see it in verses 17 to 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And in chapter 5, verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Paul is saying that the outer self is wasting away and the affliction and the suffering that you go through, all the bad circumstances, is actually preparation. <laughs> preparation. Affliction and outer self that is wasting away is not a sign for the believer that God does not love you, that he's done with you, and that your Christian life is at an end. Rather, the wasting away of the outer self is God working out all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. It's preparation. <laughs> preparation means that there's a greater agenda, a greater goal. A comparison is being made. The earthly affliction is light and momentary, like a little uh, sting of a vaccine jab. However, when you're in the middle of that affliction, it doesn't feel light and momentary. You're in the middle of it. It feels heavy. When earthly circumstances, health, marriage, parenting, schooling, it's not turning out the way that we had expected. We're heavy laden, heart is burdened goes to show that earthly circumstances, it feels like the greater reality, right? Right now, here and now. But earthly affliction is not the greater reality. It's like a bad dream. This illustration came to mind when I was talking to my younger son Ezra and I, told, I committed to him that I'll tell the story. A dream seems real at the moment. It could even be discouraging, even disturbing. Or, and I'm kicking my legs because I'm trying to kick somebody and I hit the corner of the bed frame. You feel the pain. But once you wake up, the dream is light, not tangible. It's momentary. It's fading fast as you return to consciousness. You grab your phone, you put on your glasses, and you go downstairs and eat some ice cream. That's reality. The dream is light and momentary compared to the weight of conscious life. Now, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, famously says, tells the story of a man entering into heaven. And I borrow Randy Alcorn's summary. C.S. Lewis depicts everything in heaven, grass, rocks, trees, water, as much solider than things in our country. It's all heavy and hard, like diamonds, the character can't pluck a flower or pick up a leaf. It's too heavy. The grass is sharp and hard. All this is in contrast to the people coming from earth on that bus who are transparent and ghostly. They have thought of their world as the real one, the one with substance, while thinking of heaven as the less substantial spirit world. They learn, or those with eyes, they learn that they had it all backwards. Heaven is the land of substance. 
earth is a land of shadow. To fit into heaven, they must not become less solid. That's the impression that we have, right? That we're Casper the friendly ghost, you know, floating around. No. To fit into heaven, they must become not less, but more. They must move from being phantoms to having weight and substance. They're shallow people who must become deeper and with that weightier. What would prepare you for this? See, there's nothing like affliction and suffering to prepare us, to teach us that this life is light. It's shadow, pretense. And what else can prepare us for the weight of glory except with affliction, saying, you gotta let this go. This isn't it. This isn't the ultimate reality. The Hebrew word glory comes from the root word meaning weight or heaviness. The glory that God is and what he offers to believers is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of perfection of every characteristic that is God. I wish we had time to go through this. But every characteristic of God in perfection, all put together, weighty. And Jesus promises that he goes to the heavenly realm to be the architect builder in that home. That eternal space is weighty and has substance. See, what must we practice? Here's what the inner self needs to practice to be renewed day by day. You gotta look in the correct direction. One, you'll see it in verse eight. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The looking is with the heart. For the heart to focus, to pay attention and trust. The temptation is to focus the heart's attention at the affliction or the suffering or the, and the outer self wasting away. And we want the comfort place our heart's attention on that. But either focusing too much on the affliction or wanting of the comfort, either way, either way, the focus is on this earthly realm, this dimension. But comfort nor affliction in this life must not be the heart's focus. What must we do? You gotta preach to the heart, preach it. Preach to the heart, tell your own heart. That what you see with the physical eyes are transient, temporary. All this will be gone, wasting away. Heart, look to the heavenly space. Some people in the Bible saw it. Moses saw it, a glimpse. Elisha and Elijah saw it, a glimpse. See, we know that we can see that glimpse in Jesus. See, the good news is that God is preparing our hearts to see that death, dysfunction, deterioration of the whole earthly life is it's gonna, all that is impacted by sin is preparation for a whole new heavenly resurrected life. That's the first paradox. The first paradox prepares us. We gotta go to the second one. In the paradox, there's a promise of resurrection. Chapter five, verses one to five. Paul focuses on the body specifically. He likens the body to a tent home. 
Now, I learned a lot about tents this summer because we, because of the pandemic, we have become a camping family. And you leave a non-leaking tent in storage for 10 years and you pull it out and you set it up. First night of rain, it's going to leak like a colander. You didn't do anything with it. A body that was used or not, it still degrades. The body doesn't stay forever young as the 80s song, Alphaville, wanted. Even the song gets old. But the body degrading reminds us of its this ultimate destruction. Both the degrading and the destruction are the result of Adam and Eve's sin making its way into the body. And Paul claims that when this tent house gets destroyed, that God promises a building house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, this building in San Ramon was made and demoed and rehabbed with hands. The Wellspring video was very informative. Lots of good, strong work was done. But nevertheless, as an East Coaster, I fear that earthquakes win over buildings made with hands. Paul made his hands tense. That was his side hustle. Wherever he stayed for a while, he made tents and sold it in the marketplace. As well as, I'm assuming that that's how he traveled from place to place. So of all people, Paul understood light, momentary nature of tents. And Paul says to the Christian, know that there's a building, a housing for the inner self, a body that's eternal, resurrected, and material. So, a believer in Jesus, here's what we gotta practice. We gotta practice groaning or crying in two ways. Two ways. First, verse two, groaning with longing to put on the heavenly resurrected body. I long for a body that will have Iron Man-like energy, defy gravity. Here's the second way we need to groan. In verse three, while in this earthly tent body, we groan being burdened. Because this body is wasting away. It's a paradox. Mm-hmm. At the same, you're doing that at the same time. We groan because of the burden on our bodies. And we groan longingly. See, groaning from being burdened or simply complaining comes absolutely natural to me. In our house, I have redesigned the architecture. There's a very special corner of the house. It's called the whining corner. I've perfectly designed this sign on top of foam board and it's there. I'm the architect builder of my house. And there you go to send children who whine. I'm good at it. It comes naturally for us. Let's face the brutal fact of the body. It's made by God, but yet sin makes it dysfunctional. There are moments in this pandemic when I thought it would be great to be free of this body that can be taken down by an invisible virus, prone to fatigue, and has to be protected by a mask. And that includes all of us here. No one, not even if you have young bodies, you're not immune to that. Yet Paul suggests in verses two and three, the believer will never be found naked or unclothed of a body. 
will never be a disembodied soul, just a soul walking around without a body. Will never be Casper the friendly ghost or like Voldemort having to find a new shell of a human being or animal. No, no matter how great the burden of this body that causes groaning, we're to groan with longing even more for the resurrected body, to be further clothed, verse four, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by this life. So here, yes, we groan, we complain with burden, but even more than that, groan with longing for that resurrected body. This resurrection life and body was God's design all along. Can you imagine that? To Adam and Eve, it was God designed all along to give them a new body if they ate from the tree of life when it was time. And we know that this was God's design because, and this will become true, it's, it's a promise because he has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit being a guarantee is that we can count on the Spirit's complete work of making the believer like Jesus, even having the same resurrection body. <laughs> Jesus' version of his body was amazing. He stepped out of the tomb, uh, walked through the door, sat down, ate fish, and disappeared and ascended into the sky. Amazing. And this resurrection body will experience no more pain, Revelation 21, no more aging, no more tears from messed up knees, continual energy, and no need for vitamin supplements, no more discussions about health insurance, no more doctors. You've lost your jobs. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 teaches, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, Jesus' image, from one, glory, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit guarantees it, because what does the Spirit do? Make us exactly like Jesus, including his resurrection body. We are going to look like Jesus. We're going to look great. And the Spirit guarantees it. See, that's good news. And if we get that, if you do that groaning with longing, that's renewing to the, to the inner self. The good news of resurrection body is renewing. It gives us hope to endure. I'm going to get a new one. <laughs> I can use this body for God's glory. <laughs> it's one of my fears. Is that uh, I'm, I experience fatigue, and I'm like, oh, Am I, am I, you know, am I going to go and join the Lord early? You know, can I be affected with this body? And God, Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to give you a new one. I'm going to give you a better one. I said, all right. I can go on. I'll use this body. I'll expend it for God's glory. See, that's the promise. And that's number two. We got to go to number three. In the paradox, there's present courage. Present courage. Paul needs courage because he faces a conundrum, a paradox. You'll see it in verse 6 and verse 8. Jimmy, can you put it up there? Thanks. We know that while, you're probably saying, why, why do I keep on saying Jimmy? Because I go to different places to preach, and I always forget the guy who has to do the PowerPoint. So I just determined his name is Jimmy. <laughs> so, so I don't know. All late, night, uh, all late night TV show hosts, the guy who does the whatever, his name is Jimmy. 
So there you go. Yeah. Jimmy, put it up there. Yeah. Verse 6. You're probably like, who's Jimmy? Like, doesn't he know the guy's name? Like, I, I don't. I, 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 maybe it's Dan. Danny, put it up there. Verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. And verse 8. We would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. He's in a conundrum. Philippians 1, Paul describes this very conundrum with uh, more words. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. See, this is Paul's to be or not to be. That is the question. So how can he continue? Verse 6 says, so or therefore, because the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of resurrection, we're always of good courage. 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 See, courage is for Paul here two things. First, courage is walking by faith, not by sight. That's courage. Allow me to explain. Walking or living by sight, as we look at all the outer self wasting away, and the body experiencing destruction, that's discouraging, that's disheartening. The spirit, rather, gets us to place our heart's attention and focus on our future body. He says, uh, that sightedness, that, ver- that gives us courage. Secondly, Paul resolves That conundrum that he's experiencing with courage, like this way, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Be it here or there, everywhere. I was about to quote Dr. Seuss just for some of you, but I'm going to fight that temptation. But here or there or everywhere. Where does not matter. What matters is pleasing Jesus. See, that's real courage. You're probably thinking, how's that courage? Real courage in our culture is either hypermasculine and violent, or courage is described as doing the good when no one is looking. Here, uh, Atticus, the character in the famous story of To Kill a Mockingbird, echoes what Paul is saying. Here's Atticus. I wanted you to see what real courage is. Instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand, No, it's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway. And see it through no matter what. See, biblical courage is knowing that you're afflicted, knowing that the outer self is wasting away, but that it doesn't stop you. The Spirit reminds that all this is preparation. It reminds you of the promised resurrection and gives you courage to please Him no matter what. That's courage. See, we need this kind of courage because the temptation is for believers to lose courage, lose faith in Jesus when outer self, the situations of our lives are wasting away. The body's disintegrating and you face 
some of us may be facing down and dead. We easily give in to the thought that this life is all that matters. Even with all of its dysfunctions, and we try to end up just pleasing ourselves, do what we want in this body, in the here and now. Or, for some of us who are religious, like, okay, all right, I will try to obey God. You know, I'll try to obey God so that he will bless me in my situation and restore my health, restore my situation so that we, I can live a thriving life in the here and now. See, no, no. Christians are called to make it our aim, not to please ourselves, but to please the Lord and fear the Lord. If you look at verse 10, this, he's, Paul throws in something a little um, weird. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Verse 10 and 11 gives us the impression that all of a sudden he went from all these promised resurrection and all these blessings that God provides to all of a sudden, man, I gotta live the good life. And to the extent that I live the good life, I do more good than evil, that's how he's gonna give, my, give me my resurrection life. Well, no, no. How, you gotta ask yourself, how can we do the good and not the evil? How do we even attempt to offer my obedience as something worthy to be judged by Jesus? How can, how can Jesus even call me to account like this? Where do we get the courage to walk by faith in Jesus and make a commitment, even in the midst of affliction, to please him? The only way, because Jesus, too, experienced the paradox for us. Jesus was at home with the Father and then went away. Jesus had the eternal weight of glory, but became clothed in a tent body. Jesus lived here among transient things. He had the courage to face sins and all the sin's effects on the body. His outer self was wasting away. That was all really preparation. His death was to bring life. He experienced the paradox. In the movie some years ago, uh, The Passion of the Christ, the most jarring moment for me was Jesus, just barely having the energy to carry the cross to Calvary Hill. The crowd and the soldiers are all around him. His body broken, his face bloody to a pulp. And his mother, Mary, is standing nearby. And Jesus stumbles and the cross is heavy. Mary rushes to his side and Jesus turns to his mother and says, see, mother, I make all things new. That's paradox. That's so contradictory. That outer body is wasting away. What Jesus is saying is, I make all things new. Why? Because in himself, that's what he's doing. He's experiencing it in order to make it new. 
Jesus' death and resurrection resolves the paradox in his work on the cross. As the immortal was swallowed up by death, yet Jesus was raised to give us new life, new body, new home, to make all things new. And because he lives, I can face today my inner self renewed. And as we place our heart's attention and practice groaning with longing, we can have that kind of courage. Would you look at Jesus for the first time and for the thousandth time and be renewed in faith in his resurrection reality and commit today, commit to make it our aim to please him and to fear him, take him seriously. May the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection prepare us for the promise of our resurrection bodies and give us courage to live in the now. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, we thank you. Yes, we thank you even for the affliction and suffering. We thank you that through it, you prepare us. We thank you for the promises, the guarantee, all of it in Jesus. And Father, we thank you even as we go to the table that we can tangibly see and practice Jesus' body broken for us his blood spilled so that we can experience new life, new courage, a new body even. Jesus, we thank you, we worship you, we honor you. Holy Spirit, would you give us more of Jesus even at this moment? In Jesus' name we pray.